Hello out there, friends, enemies, strangers, and uh, and family, I suppose, of all kinds. Welcome back to The Extra Milestone, your weekly cinemaholic spinoff, where we go back in time to discuss the classic films that made the cinematic landscape what it is today. As always, I am your host, Sam Noland, a staff writer for Cinemaholics, and with me, I have someone I'm very excited to be oh, talking to. Oh God. For the first time... In almost two years, I am podcasting again with my old compatriot from Anyway, That's All I Got, Mr. Jason Reed. Jason. Oh, wow. How are you? That great. Wow. That was that was beautiful. I wanna yes. thank you. Um thank I wanna thank your audience for, you know, making me the most requested guest in extra milestone history. Um let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I know you made a a poll about you know who who the audience wants to see in the next episode and yes <laughs> for some reason i was at the top of the list yeah so. yeah i think uh i think terry cruz was at a close second for close no close reason. second uh it's yeah. quite an honor to be you know uh about a thousand votes above terry cruz so yeah, a measly thousand votes, measly thousand yeah i don't want to you know i don't want it to get to my head so yeah thank and you I, again I, yeah and Gene Siskel was third, which still blows my mind. Gene Siskel, know. yeah, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know how good he, you know, he'd be in podcast form. You know, I'm here, <laughs> yeah. whatever. You know, yes, you you grew up with the art form. I did, yes, yes. yes. What did he, he have? A TV that. show? Ooh, ooh. Something like that. Something. Yeah. yeah. Who are we to Who are we to begrudge? Yeah. The legacy of Gene Siskel. I don't know how we got here. No. Yeah. Gene, it's love. I know you're listening. It's love. Yes. It's all love. Love to you and Roger, Gene. Yes. Anyway. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, Jason, it's been a long time since we it, podcasted together. It has. It How has. does it feel to be back on the airwaves? Nervous. Yeah, oh, really? Always, well, always nervous. I don't know if you could tell with the old ones, but I was always so nervous. You know, I actually can't. You have, you conduct yourself very well. I find that hard to believe, but okay. <laughs> Well, I find it easy to believe because okay. it's true. And don't okay. and don't you don't play coy with me, Jason. <laughs> I know, I know you love it. I I've been told I have a charming panic about me. You know, charming panic, a charming panic. Dash like <laughs> dot tumblr dot com. That's yeah, what exactly. I do. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been uh, we did the anyway. That's all I got podcast we together. We did and. Uh, that was the show that we did with Anthony Battaglia yes. for uh, the span of, what was it, like six, seven months-ish? Oh, me, oh my, I could not tell you. It's it's weird to think that it was that long. Yeah, that yeah. podcast eventually eventually kind of fizzled out at, for, for reasons that are that are shameful <laughs> on my part. But <laughs> All uh, of our parts, really. Uh, life, life got in the way of all of us. That's true, but there it could have gone a lot better. So it's a, at least... 93.7% my fault that, that that it went out so anticlimactically. Well, we're on to bigger and better things. Here we are. I suppose so. Yes, here we are on the extra milestone. Nothing not quite as ambitious as what we did on anyway that's all I got, which is where we basically kind of the way like our usual formula was we would talk about a different franchise every yes. week, which yes. was as it turns out that's really hard to do on a consistent it basis. Really, that's a lot of things to watch, and Lord knows I never watched all of it. Yeah, that was kind of your deal. Was that, that we get to one deal. of them 
And we'd be like, Jason, what do you think? And you'd say, I actually have never <laughs> seen this and have no intention. To. And so I tried to divert the conversation by being like, what did you guys think of this? Yeah. Um, and it would work sometimes. Or you'd bring up super kicks or some nonsense. Or, or like I that. would. Or I would. Yeah. That was, a, be, that was a thing. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, remember when Captain America used his super kicks? That was cool. And we'd be like, yes. Yes, we do, Jason. <laughs> and that was the end of that segment. <laughs> And then we'd move on. Exactly. Uh, m- much like we're going to do right now, because mm-hmm. as, as, as has been established, this is the extra milestone. This is where we go back in time. And Jason, this is a, this is a bit of an interesting episode because in uh, release order, at the very least, uh, this is going to be the first episode in which, on the extra milestone, not one, not two, not four, actually, but three <laughs> movies are being discussed. Wait, this is uh, the first time that that's happened? This, this is going to be the first one that the listeners hear where we've done more than two. Oh, I am I am honored. You're wow. you're not out of your depth. You're well within your yeah, depth. That's wow. what I would say. And, you know, thank you for picking movies that I've already seen. Um, so I wouldn't have to rewatch them, but I rewatched them anyway. Because they're all yes. so fantastic, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, really. We got a we got yeah. a really good crop here. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the way it works is that I've got this is this is us. We are we are uh, we are a bit behind on the extra milestone when it comes to uh, you know what we're celebrating versus actual chronological time. So all these movies that we're discussing were are are celebrating anniversaries in the month of March, and it's late June now. So, but we're catching up slowly but surely. Uh, but yeah, I sent Jason a list of here's everything eligible for this month that hasn't already been chosen for uh, other such episodes as this and these were the three that we decided on and i'm and i'm I'm really glad because um they have i think they all connect to each other they in do interesting ways. they really do actually for a variety in, of in, reasons in a, yeah in a variety of reasons <laughs> so yeah. i'm gonna briefly mention that yeah and so I'm sure we'll get to that along yeah, the way. So will. just to we give will. just to give a quick preview before we dive headfirst into the uh, into the cinematic treasures that we're unearthing today, uh, we are going to be talking about John Luke Godard's Breathless, a true classic, uh, defining milestone of the French New Wave and cinema in general. After that, we're going to be talking about George Frenju's Eyes Without a Face, a horror movie that's incredibly influential and yet is not uh widely known or acclaimed as uh, such yeah, things are but every, yeah. everyone who's seen it loves it and for good reason we're going to be getting we're going to be getting into that and finally we're going to conclude with a discussion of Dario Argento's giallo classic Deep Red is it giallo giallo that's how i say it i am i've been saying giallo my entire life oh my life. goodness oh Jason. no Shame. shame 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 indeed shame indeed okay that's great i'm i'm 98 percent sure i i trust you you do your research i i i i'm or at least i know how to make it look like it don't yeah research. i I, I, I look at the word and i'm like mm, that's close enough <laughs> i'll probably mispronounce a couple names in here we'll see i'll ridicule you relentlessly yes you will you, you will you will you'll be on standby okay. yeah and, and speaking of uh, words that will likely be mispronounced. Let's talk about a French movie, yes. shall we? Yes. Let us talk about this. This is going to be our featured review. So this is um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Breathless, and we're gonna we're gonna be getting pretty deep into the plot of this one. So if you haven't seen it and you'd like to, 
by all means, go and check it out. I highly recommend it. And then come back. The second two, we're not going to be getting as intricate into it. So it's probably safe to listen to the conversation on those last two if you haven't seen the movies yet. But of course, that is your call as always. But first, we got we to gotta talk about Breathless, Jason. Let's do it. Yes, she's over there. Merci. New York Herald Tribune! Est-ce que tu m'accompagnes, Harold? Oui, c'est idiot, je t'aime. Je voulais te revoir pour savoir si te revoir me ferait plaisir. Vous venez d'où, Monte Carlo? Non, de Marseille. Je suis resté samedi et dimanche à Monte Carlo. Et ta Ford, tu ne l'as plus? Elle est au garage. Allez, quoi, je reste avec toi. De toute façon, j'ai mal à la tête. On ne sera pas ensemble, mais je voudrais rester à côté de toi. Yeah, so Breathless is the feature debut of Jean-Luc Godard, uh, who is one of the kind of the founding fathers, so to speak, or founding members, I should say of the French New Wave, uh, which began in the late 50s and continued through, sources differ, but like late 60s, early 70s-ish is when it started out. Uh, Now, Jason, before we talk about Breathless, I want to know what is uh, your connection, not only to Breathless, the movie itself, but to Jean-Luc Godard as a director and the French (laughs) New Wave as a whole? Oh, wow. Don't be Um, afraid. No, I believe me, I'm not. You know, we were were talking about this briefly before and... It's it's difficult for me to talk about Godard in the, the sort of lens I think we're going to talk about him in because mm. to me Godard movies are much more of like a strange a strange like experience where you just get very interesting characters uh mainly interesting dialogue um yeah. some likable characters mainly unlikable characters and it's it's not so much about the plot. It's just basically, you know, quick jokes or quick little, you know, pieces of dialogue that stick with you after like after the movie's over. You know, it's yeah. not it's not as as you would see most movies where it's like, oh, the you know, this this story is so interesting. You know, right. it, it has it has an interesting setup setup for the story, but it's mainly, you know, we'll we'll talk about later on. But my favorite sections of breathless are the middle sections of it hmm. very you know, interesting where it's yeah. just dialogue you know it's almost like a bunch of vignettes it is it? it is yeah um and that's that's from what i've experienced of french new wave movies which is basically godard movies and the uh antoine duanel yes uh movies of Truffaut. um it, it it seems just like a lot of a lot of vignettes you know it, yeah it's like vignette compilations almost yeah that was actually kind of one of the things that really defined the french new wave yeah um and uh in, in case you don't know just real quick might as well give a shout out uh last year the month of may uh on the extra milestone we celebrated the 60th anniversary of the 400 blows so you can go back and listen to that one yeah uh, i don't fantastic. know fantastic fantastic movie i just yeah. watched oh, that recently fantastic absolutely love it oh, it's I really it. great yeah 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that episode we did. That is in the archives, as always. Uh, and now we're and now we're going to Godard. So it's actually kind of fitting that we yeah. managed to get both of the, uh, the debut features of these uh, monolithic directors, some might say. So, yeah. so Jason, I want to ask, do you know, like, how much do you know about sort of the inception of the French New Wave? Oh, <laughs> um, I suppose I like to think that I know a lot of it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I know that um, it was a lot of uh, critics kind of yeah. turn, turn directors um, who basically wanted to um, basically like dismantle the conventional cinema that uh, the world was used to. And yeah. uh, actually one of it, so, you know, you'd have uh, Godard, Truffaut, um Here's here's your first instance to correct me, Sam. Uh, mm. Eric Romer. Uh, Romer. Romer, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's not um, forget Agnes Varda. Agnes Varda, of course. Um, yes. And you know it, it was they 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 seemed to have a motto which was uh, "Le Cinema du Papa," which mm. uh, translates to uh, "Dad Cinema," which basically was what they didn't want, you know. Their 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 new slogan was basically like, you know, this ain't your daddy's cinema. Oh wow! This I didn't, is, know, this I didn't is, know that. I mean, it, it, I mean that's that's not exactly what their their slogan was, but they sure. wanted to dismantle the convention that was uh, dad's cinema. Yeah. You know, so naturally, they wanted to create something that that wasn't your daddy's cinema. You might say they wanted to create a new wave <laughs> a new wave yes <laughs> not an old wave uh, a new you don't hear a lot of people talk about the french old wave that's no. kind of a lot of that's it's, it's just a bunch of really conventional dramas with no real substance uh, yes <laughs> yeah i'm making that up of course um, <laughs> but yeah no you're you're exactly right it was um those directors that you mentioned plus a few others who have not who have not lingered in the consciousness as much but uh like Jacques Rivette who appears in yes. Restless actually yes. and uh Claude Chabrol uh all of whom have at least a couple of classics to their name uh they were they were critics for the French magazine Cahier du Cinema yes uh, yeah. which to this day is still kind of like the holy grail of uh critical publications it is as a matter still of fact, around it's oh yeah it's still around uh, I think okay. they had some big buyout recently, so I think it might have changed fundamentally. But it's 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 been operating for a very long time, okay. and uh, uh, they actually they are credited as originating the idea of auteur theory, which is basically the idea that which, which we very much live by now most of the time that the director is kind of the foremost author of a piece. You yeah, know? it's like it's, we, it's kind of where the term auteur originated from right yeah i think i i think I, I, like the word existed beforehand uh, but they sort of they sort of parlayed it into into uh cinematic use yeah and to this day we still think about movies as a product of their director a lot of yeah. the times at least yeah. there are exceptions of course but uh like when we're referring to a movie we talk about like what what's something that came out recently like uh judd apatow's the king of staten island you know what i'm saying like that kind of thing good example <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking of a recent yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spike Lee's *The Five Bloods*. The Five Bloods. Like that's the yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, we sort of we sort of uh, view the director as the author of this piece, and indeed, exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that's what happened was all these critics were, they were just frustrated. They were not seeing the change they wanted to see. Uh, they wanted this youthful energy to be brought for it uh, to it, I should say. And indeed, that's really what they did. And, they, and their, uh, their contributions to cinema have not been, uh, cannot be understated. So, and uh, what we're talking about now with Breathless is sort of, sort of the beginning of it because Truffaut had already done the 400 blows a year before and Godard was like, yeah, I want to, I want in on this action. And so uh, I did not actually know this beforehand, but Truffaut uh, came up and, and uh, Claude Chabrol as well, who is uncredited most of the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. They came up with the original idea for Brent. Yeah. Was, I just learned that too. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. I thought for sure it was, it was a, it was a, a Godard, uh, you know, auteur thing for yeah yeah because i don't want to take away from the movie but it doesn't seem like the kind of plot to you know be manifested by two separate auteurs yeah uh, besides Godard. but you know it's welcome it's 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 great and the entire temperament of the movie is very Godard, and the reason for that is because uh Godard really brought a lot of his unique energy to it and that energy is sort of this series of like unbridled emotional strokes which i think is the reason uh what you're saying with how especially this movie what kind of stands out as being just sort of a collection of stuff that's happening and it would probably not surprise you at all if you've seen this movie to find out that it was very much the story was just sort of thought up on the spot like they did not have a script so to speak beforehand like they had a basic premise and they had kind of a trajectory in mind but all the scenes they were filmed on the fly without permission a lot of the times really and uh it just it just sort of came together right there in the moment and i'm gonna say this you can tell you (laughs) you can tell and i feel like of the Godard movies that i've seen you can tell a lot of the time if it's just like a you know on on moment type thing i read before that uh um, Godard would look at what Truffaut and I, I forget the other guy's name, but what they would have prepared for him. And, uh, the day or the morning of the shooting, he would kind of just personal, like personalize it, you know, <laughs> like take a, I'm imagining some like big red marker that. He oh, yeah. Exactly. That, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he would, he, he, yeah, exactly. He would just, you know, add his own little Godard twists to it little godardisms Godard- oh gosh yeah godardisms yeah. <laughs> chick webster get on it Godard- Godard- godardisms I, I want it right now yeah no yeah that was the thing uh the the ending i found out which we'll get to eventually was changed significantly from uh what was originally written i could see that what yeah. actually ends up in the movie and i had in, i had when, no when idea I, when i tell you the actual what the what it was supposed to be uh it's it would have been a very different movie if that ending had been chosen. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so Godard was sort of this, like, was just sort of this id, like, just sort of spewing cinema out. That's kind of the vibe I get uh, yeah. when I watch a lot of his movies, uh, very many of which I have seen. I, yeah. Two years ago now, I went on sort of a French New Wave bender. I don't even remember why. I think I, I was just sort of in the mood. I think, um, was it because... Um, the image book was coming out that you started that or was it just out no, the image of book came nowhere? like months later that year okay I, I didn't even know about it i just yeah. for out just out of the blue for some reason i decided you know what i'm just gonna watch a ton of 
uh, Godard and Truffaut and Agnes Varda movies. And I did. And it was fantastic. I remember talking to you about that in the attempting to hold the conversation with uh i think i think i had only seen breathless at the time (laughs) so i was like yeah french new wave (laughs) they broke all the rules it sounded like sylvester stallone yeah yeah they they broke they broke rules that's french new wave that's what they did that was kind of their thing but Um, it was it was you know that's the classic you know film school um you know well, they they didn't do the conventional editing that you would expect, and you know that that is yeah. very film school um, stuff that you would learn. But it's true, like it. Oh yeah, you know, and and it didn't come from you know uh, Godard's. Like it, it wasn't purposeful in the moment. The uh, mm. the jump cut editing. That, yeah, that yeah, they didn't know it. about that until yeah. afterwards. Yeah, um, because from from what I've read, it was. Um, the movie was 30 minutes longer than I think the studio wanted. I, I'm, I'm not sure. It was 30 mm-hmm. minutes too long. Um, and so Godard had to get rid of 30 minutes. So he, on on the fly, just basically started these jump cut moments that yeah. were, I think, the most iconic like parts about those movies, I think. Yeah, that is kind of what, uh, that, that's kind of the one thing, if any, that Breathless really brought to the cinematic firmament. Uh, now let, let, let's uh, to to establish some context because we've talked in sort of we've talked in sort of big ideas about what Breathless and the French New Wave is all about. Yeah. But uh, just to sort of set the stage, so so Breathless is the story of a Michel played by <laughs> played by Jean Paul uh, Belmondo, who is uh, a muse of the French New Wave to oh. say the least. Appeared in a lot of those movies and was Amaz- always great. Amazing face. Yeah, he's one, got of my, one, of most, one of my favorite faces. One of the. One, which is such a weird thing to say, but only Jason Reed would have a favorite face. You, you, you know, you know when you see the face of an actor. You know when you watch a Safdie Brothers movie or or someone, or you know one of those where they just have like you know someone's just got an interesting face. And you're just like, yes, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I want in this movie. Listeners, this is why. I have Jason Reed on the podcast because I would never, th- no one else I, would ever say these things. And I'm a face, I'm a face man, you know, face man. <laughs> I'm a face yeah. man. Yeah. And it's not even, and it just, just to clarify, it's not even like, because they're like attractive or compelling. It's just the literal face. Yeah. There's something about it. Yeah. yeah you're absolutely right. And that is, that is John Paul Belmondo in a nutshell is just this, uh, one, one hell of a face. And this was, his, this was his first feature film. His first major role—it's what okay. it was his breakout. Um, he had been in—he like played supporting roles and other things beforehand. I couldn't name them off the top of my head, yeah. but yeah, uh, not his first movie necessarily. Yeah, uh, but kind of the the first one that really exploded and made him like a worldwide star. And he's still alive too, so, which is fantastic. Yeah, and and guess what? Has the exact same face. I don't know if yes. you've seen pictures. Yes, uh, I I've seen his IMDb picture uh, recently yeah. of in. He's doing one of, you know, in the movie, he does those like facial uh, things where he opens his mouth, smiles, and then like purses his lips. And yeah. IMDb picture is him opening his mouth, just like how he does in the movie. And oh, look at that. Exactly the same. I didn't know that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he knows what he means. He knows. To the, to the history of cinema. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so we're introduced to this character, Michelle, who's... Uh, we get the sense right off the bat, kind of like a oddly rambunctious sort of uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just sort of, you know, hot-headed Bogardian about town. What's that? Bogardian. Well, yeah, that's the whole deal. We find out later yeah. in the movie that he that he's very specifically modeling his look after uh, Humphrey Bogart, who of course yes. was a huge star for yeah. a long time at that point. And uh, first thing he does is very easily, might I add, just steals a car. Very easily, yeah. It like, makes, like it, it makes me want to steal cars of just how <laughs> easily they they they're just in it and then it's stolen. The keys are always in the car. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Yeah. And the sunroof is always down. It, it's very easy, apparently, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at this time and this place to steal a car. So that's what happens. And it's and it's a cop car, right? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wait, it steals the, a cop car, yeah. finds, a, of course, there's a gun in the glove compartment, because, of course, there is, uh, and just sort of just sort of drives away and has, and you can tell, has no real reason, no ulterior motive to this just sort of wants to do it and then yeah. in this moment at the very beginning which i think kind of unlocks the whole movie um it kind of yeah it, it's it's the loose story that surrounds this movie is is uh that he turned he's talking to himself and just saying these weird lines that are clearly written like these are not this is not like naturalistic dialogue that he's saying to himself and at one point looks directly into the yeah. into the camera yeah and at this point, I'm wondering, okay, does he know he's in a movie or does he just does he just go about life thinking that he's in a movie? And I tend to go with the latter. Do you, or, how, did you think about and this? See, that's, that's the thing where I say I don't know how to talk about Godard. It's because he'll mm-hmm. just do, you know, things like that, which are, you know, of course, pleasing to watch, but sometimes don't make a whole lot of sense. You know, yeah, you know, you 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 could think about it the way that you're thinking about it as uh, you, you saw the latter. You said, yeah, I think I yeah. think he that he just goes about life thinking that he's in a movie. There, exactly, and, the, and uh, that kind of matches the way he he looks at that Bogart picture. Exactly. Beginning. Yeah, yeah. This was this was actually one of the really, and we're jumping around a little bit, yeah. but it's it's whatever. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't of, matter in a movie like this. Yeah, you know, lin- that's linearity kind of does things. not matter. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that is that was really revolutionary. Was this is one of the first, if not the first? Like, I can't think of an example beforehand. I know historian or nothing, but I just I I don't know anything where the characters would sort of openly acknowledge uh, the existence of like the movies, like that other movies exist, or yeah. they would reference actual Hollywood history. They did it a little bit in the Four Hundred Blows. Um, but this is really explicit. It informs Michelle's entire character uh, where you can tell that he's just sort of living life like moment to moment and not really giving much thought to any of the consequences, just sort of wants to live as if he's some like epic masculine uh, antihero in yeah. a movie. And um, that's that's kind of where like the, the, the youth part of this movie comes in because it's like a very... Yeah uh you know power power to the youth type mm-hmm. type of movie uh, which i never expected it to be i mean like gene gene seberg is uh 21 in this movie i'm 21 myself i didn't yeah see her as a 21 year old i expected her to be i don't know 10 year 10 years younger than me all these characters <laughs> to be way way older than me so i didn't you know see it personally as as a youth movie but it totally makes sense for the time 
of it being yeah there. that I, I i hadn't thought about that i think i was i wasn't really giving much thought to like the generational aspect yeah um, one thing that is important to keep in mind though is that this is this is 1960 as we mentioned celebrating 60 years uh this is kind of the first generation that grew up with the movies as like a really predominant entity in their yeah. life you know what i'm saying like they're like it was just sort of around from birth um and so it makes sense that they would sort of be sort of sort of uh what, what's the word i'm looking for just, in, just treating the cinema with this amount of reverence uh, yeah. And indeed, this is something that continues to this day. You'll see this a lot in, for instance, the films of Quentin Tarantino, where they'll sort of just reference pop culture whenever they feel like it. And that's sort of, and that can be like an aspect of their character. Um, it could, or, or it could just be incidental. Like it, it, it can show up just as soon as just about anything else. Like that really wasn't a thing before. It was just like, okay, there's the world that takes place in the movies and then there's our world where we just yeah. have the movies, you know? Yeah. It, no, it's, it, it's, it was it's, this very separating thing. It's very much a sort of universe where movies are a big part of pop culture and influence the character. Yeah. Hell, there's yeah. even a there's even a chase scene later where they dart like in and out of a theater in yeah. the middle of a movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, which would not fly today. And I say yeah. that as someone who works in a, in a movie yep. theater. So that, that was kind of amusing to watch. Mm. Um but yeah, so, so so to get back to the sort of the way the movie starts is that Michelle uh, eventually uh, it gets pursued by some motorcycle cops and ends up shooting one of them in what is presumably just sort of a crime of uh, not necessarily passion, but just sort of in the moment I'm being chased. I've got to defend myself or get away from this yeah. and sprints away. And then it's not really until the third act that this comes up in a huge way again. That, that that this guy is on the run from the police. You yeah, know? you know, he just kind of goes back into the city, tries to find people that owe him money, uh, girls that he loves. I say girls because yeah. there's kind of multiple. There um, are a couple, yeah. Yeah, um, and you don't, you know, hear about the whole police incident till I think, yeah, like a two-thirds into the movie where it, yeah. uh, you know, shows on a paper that the police are closing in on. <laughs> they already know yeah. who he is. Um, you know, there's no whole investigation side of it. They just, they know him uh, uh-huh. and, they're, and they're after him. There's a giant picture of him on the paper yeah. and they're going after him. And it's just kind of like a, you know, it's like a, a background problem for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes along with that whole sort of a series of character traits that I was bringing up before, how he's not really giving much thought to like, future or even the present really and i think that is what makes his relationship with patricia played by gene seberg who we meet uh shortly thereafter that's what makes it so interesting uh she's a much more interesting and well-rounded person than he is, is she oh not? i mean <laughs> i mean definitely compared to him oh my goodness i yeah. i don't i don't want to say it but you know he's kind of an ass yes and, and absolutely that's, that's the thing about Godard movies is that he'll have these characters who are just complete asses you know there's there's not a lot of redeeming characters about like or character traits about you know yeah watch and the movie weekend if you want to see that. i just see i have i haven't even seen that one i was thinking more of um uh, ma- masculine feminine yes um they're all just sort of a bunch of dumb kids who they're, don't they're, know what, who yeah they they're dumb kids they're you know misogynists <laughs> they're 
Yeah. You know, you don't get a whole lot of likable traits about them, but just the way that they interact with their environment, the way that people interact back to them makes it seem like it's its own kind of world. Like it's like outside of today's, um, you know, moral standings where like, you know, if, if, if John Belmundo's uh, character in this was in today's world, people would hate him. Yeah, he would be yeah. a complete like just the just the most ripe for humiliation. Yeah, kind of character. yeah. People would be like, "Oh, this guy, what? Like, what about this character? Am I supposed to like? You know?" Yeah. And but it's oh, it's just this pulpy, you know, noir. He's I I don't think there's a single scene where he doesn't have a cigarette in his mouth. Something about that for the time <laughs> for sixties uh, France is just so like, ugh. I don't know, you know. Yeah. We've we've talked about you know Ratatouille in the past and how it's you know some people will say it's just like I don't want to say French porn but you know you, you know what I mean like yeah. it's it's it, it it's it's along those lines and like this is like almost the same where it's just like the cigarettes the yeah <laughs> misogyny I hate to say yes. that but like it's there it is and it's it's horrible to say but you know it's something about it is just very it's superficially. Intrig- intriguingly cool yeah intriguing of the time it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting yeah 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 no that's the that's the thing i find so fascinating about this is that it's just it's the movie breathless is such such an icon among certain circles at the very least of yeah. coolness like yeah. there are like there are of course it's sort of that secondhand coolness because it's this character sort of basing his look off of like humphrey bogart and stuff but really it's it's all about the aesthetic of it. Like Paris never looks better than it does in the French new wave. In oh Black my God. And White. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is true for like, like any French new wave movie I've seen where it's just, it looks so scintillating. There's like a, they're like cafes all over the place and everyone yeah. just seems vibrantly just seems light. So, so dignified and yeah. so, you know, sure of themselves and everything. Yeah. Um, but at the heart of it, there is this facade. And I think that's what this movie is really getting into in earnest. I think I wanted to make sure I looked up this actor. I, uh, you mentioned if if Michelle was a character now. If Michelle was a character in like Booksmart, he'd be like the <laughs> character Jared. You remember Jared? Yeah. He'd be that <laughs> character. <laughs> Where like thinks he's all that, yeah. but really everyone else just kind of snickers and yeah. like, oh yeah. yeah, here's here's a here's Michelle again. You could like, say that about them. most of the side characters in, in Book Smart because they're, they're pretty much they're they're all just full of themselves. Side characters, I mean, um, yeah, a few of them, yeah, yeah, some more so than others, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is that facade of coolness that is really not practical. Like I got to thinking. Can I imagine this character, Michelle? Can I imagine what he would be doing before I see the movie start? Like, can you, like, what, what does a normal day for Michelle look like? It's hard to think, isn't it? It honestly seems like exactly what the uh, middle third of the movie is, where he's pretty much just not really doing anything, you know? Just he's sort just, of screwing around. Exactly. You know, taking money, <laughs> taking money from his various girlfriends. Uh huh. Trying, trying again and again, like, "Hey, will you sleep with me?" Like he literally says that on a variety. Of I think he, I think he says that the most throughout the whole movie. I mean, the whole <laughs> like, yeah, the whole middle third is just him constantly uh, egging Gene Seberg on, on to sleep with him while she's just she wants to talk about Faulkner and all all this other stuff, and he's just like, 
take your top off and it's just like oh what a terrible person but like yeah yeah no she's a uh, uh to talk about patricia a little more she's a reporter and she's a an american living in paris yeah um working for a uh is, does she work for the herald tribune i actually didn't catch that i um, from <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure trust me i didn't i didn't catch it that that much either um <laughs> she all i know is that she sells that magazine and that she also interviews uh the interviewees uh yes <laughs> who yeah who no, is, she's a reporter yeah. working for some publication yeah, yeah um and is and is very interested in like the arts and uh you know just conducting sort of a normal life yeah. and what we see happen over the course of the movie is that uh michelle's sort of you know freewheeling let's not like let's not give a damn about tomorrow sort of outlook on life it sort of starts to get to her a little bit she starts to get washed over in the sort of the excitement of that and indeed it is very exciting and this movie is is very convincing at making it look like yeah what if i just went around stealing cars it's a it's a Uh, total it's a total um bonnie and clyde situation exactly yeah as a matter of fact uh the the filmmakers of bonnie and clyde do cite breathless as a significant source which i was i was really pleased to find out because i I love bonnie and clyde it's one of my favorite i know you do yeah 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 um Come, come the year 2022 we'll get to talk about that on that milestone and i can't wait it's gonna be a hell of a day mark, mark in my calendar now mark in my oh man i have plans that year yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh yeah that's exactly what happens is that she starts to get sort of sucked into it to the point of getting involved in the police and just not just not really being able to go about her normal day and it ends up, I think it, we might as well just jump right to it. It just ends up with Michelle getting shot and killed. And that's yeah. it. Because there's no other rational conclusion to that lifestyle. Yes. Um, be- beautiful shot of him running down the street, just holding, sort of hobbling away. holding his bleeding back. And then his last breath is yeah. literally uh, smoke coming out of his mouth. Yeah, I lo- I love the. I, if you look closely, he's still holding the cigarette even as he's collapsed. Oh, is he really? Shot. I had I yes. had no idea. It's hilarious. That is great. Like yeah. he's he's so obsessed with looking and seeming cool. Yeah, he refuses to drop the cigarette even when a mortal wound is inflicted. And goddamn, is he cool? Yes. So he's cool. really he even dies cool. Yeah, yeah. Like it's the greatest thing. But again, it's not a feasible way of life and i think i i was i was trying to think because i think it's a legitimate question and i don't i'm not even convinced i know the answer is godard aware of how false all of this is what do you have do you have a thought on this jason i could not tell you because i think he kind of is i think the thing with godard as i mentioned earlier is that you can tell that of, of let's let's say the three big French New Wave directors. Let's sort of let's sort of do one of those three circle Venn diagrams, whatever they're called. Godard, Truffaut, Verda, and Varda. Yeah. Yes, Varda, Verda, uh, Varda. Yeah, Verda. <laughs> Truffaut is very thoughtful. Like there, not a lot of anger comes through in uh, in the works of Truffaut, for at least what I've seen, which is a good deal. Yeah. Um, you, they're they're a lot more narratively driven. There's a clear arc taking place in all of Truffaut's movies. You talk about any of the Antoine Duanel movies or a movie I just watched recently, The Mississippi Mermaid. 
also starring John Paul Belmondo, which is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Really? For the first third. And then it <laughs> seamlessly transitions into a really sort of bizarre, like like on the run thriller and then gets really existential by the end, but it all fits together really like, like really seamlessly. If Godard did that, it would be all over the place. It would be almost unwatchable, possibly in a good way. Yeah. Uh, Which is Varda. Yeah. 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 Which is how his movies to me are. They're like, it's, it's impossible for me to recommend Godard movies to people. Because we don't. Because how do you even contextualize? Exactly. It? But, exactly. That's what. That's what I'm saying. With like, how how do you talk about Bedar that, that that much? Or just it comes experimental it comes with movies all this, like that. It comes with all this like history and stuff. And yes, there is a plot technically. Yeah, yeah. But it's not really. It's it's clearly not the first thing on their mind, and it might not even be like the second or third or fourth. Yeah. It might be like way down the list. Um. So Truffaut is that Agnes Varda is uh taking more of like almost an objective look at the world around her. She's like, she's certainly the most artistic of the three of them when oh, it yeah. comes to oh, yeah, yeah. like, just with every single one of her movies, there's some unique spin on it or some innovation or something that makes it uh, unlike anything else. And so uh, I, I would, I have very little hesitation saying that she's probably the best filmmaker of the three of them, not by a lot granted. Um, but just when it comes to, uh, contributing to the to the cinematic art form, I yeah. think Agnes Varda has it in the bag. And then yeah. Godard is just this like ball of weird inclinations bouncing around a room endlessly. <laughs> yeah, I you know I hate it when people call like so and so people like oh it's 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 the bad boy of cinema or whatever mm. you know people call Harmony Kareem. <laughs> The bad boy of no, they don't. People do. Some people. I mean, I've I have seen uh, articles being like interview with with the bad boy of contemporary movies. I'm like, shut up, you know. And I I can't, you know. I could I could see publications saying the same thing about Godard, especially at the time. Maybe so, yeah. But listen, it wouldn't. It's a it's a weird. It's kind of a gauche thing to say. It's not entirely false, though, because Godard, as we mentioned multiple times, has a very unique approach to to storytelling, especially yeah. in this first one. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember how I got on this point. How did I get to how did I get to uh, comparing the three of these directors or is it is it gone already? <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't know. It's so difficult talking about these movies. We'll, we'll I, lo- I love them. I love them, but it's difficult to, to talk about. Yeah. Listen, I, I will say this real fast. We all know that the only two bad boys of cinema are Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. I'm gonna put that to rest right now. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll agree to that. Yeah. 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 So I I don't want to be hearing any of this stuff about Kareem. Uh, Harmony Kareem. Who is he? V- vague publications yeah. Yeah. that Jason has seen somewhere. <laughs> A Viceland, you know, <laughs> website talking yeah. about Harmony Kareem. Whatever. Oh, I remember. It's because uh, with the, with that ending where it ends with uh, Michelle dying, and that's literally the end. Nothing else happens. Yeah, like it's just this sort of realization, like, oh yeah, you're a criminal, <laughs> and you're on the run, and you've oh, been apprehended yeah. by the authorities. Yeah, yeah. That is how this story. Yeah, would naturally end, especially if you're not like on the run. Like they're just sort yeah. of, he's just sort of going about his day. He has yeah. no, he's giving no thought to trying to 
uh, like clear his name. Not that there's a name to be cleared, but nothing yeah. of, the, of that kind. You know, they're standing over his body at the end and no one seems surprised. There, there's a moment where I laughed out loud, where which is where uh, Michelle says, you know, I'm one of the few people who actually like cops. I'm like, you murdered yeah. Yeah. one of them <laughs> with no thought to the repercussions. Yep. Like yeah. that's, that is where I get, uh, that is where I can see sort of this youthful thing. It's almost like a naivete, you know? Yeah. Uh, where he thinks like, yeah, so what? I killed a cop. What does it matter? This is, we, we only, you, you know, he'd say something like you only live once. <laughs> you know, he'd say something. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I, right? Oh, you know, he would. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, cause he's, cause he's so infatuated with this fake world of yeah. the cinema. Yep. where like anything could happen really which of yep. course it can but of course there are there are consequences to your action and so when i'm trying to think does godard really understand this i think he does but i think he's more interested in exploring what makes that kind of uh flip attitude what makes it cool and i yeah. think that is what that is what most people think of when it comes to this movie and listen it is it's a very cool movie it's, it's a very it's very very cool it's a it's a jazzy movie. The soundtrack is. alone yeah, yeah. is really fantastic, and yeah. just and editing, we haven't we haven't got, yeah exactly we haven't gone into detail about the editing. It is uh it, a lot of jump cuts in yep. scenes where uh, a jump cut, if you don't know, is when a scene will basically cut to itself, like it'll cut to a moment or two later, but for whatever reason has just removed a second or two or maybe even a couple minutes we may never know yeah so you'll get you'll get stuff like, in between yeah so you'll get a, a fragment of a conversation jump cut yeah. to a minute later you get the, the tail, exact same the conversation tail end of that conversation exactly um yeah and that kind of that does match the weird kind of you know syncopated jazz score of of the movie where it's just like you know it's not it's not your daddy's jazz where it's um you know kenny g or something like yeah. that. You know, it's it's it very much matches the sporadic like editing of the movie. It's 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 like we said earlier, just like vignettes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it all feel like really fast moving. We actually yeah. don't really know how much like what specific amount of time this takes place over. It can't be that long, like maybe a couple weeks. Uh but it's never it's never explicitly stated. And I think that works and in the it, movie's it favor. Feels like it could be a day you know if you look at it very well could be exam like if you look at hard evidence in the movie it it's not a day but it feels like it is uh-huh yeah yeah it feels like it's all taking place over just this very short fiery amount of time it's almost as if like it's almost as if uh you think of stories where like oh they they fell in love and their entire courtship and it all just went so fast uh that's kind of what this feels like even though you can tell throughout the movie at least at the beginning uh, that Patricia isn't really having Michelle's nonsense, and I think that is that is yeah, kind like of a she, funny she kind of she kind of like dishes it back, um, or she'll just kind of disregard whatever nonsense he says, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's there, there's something really just lovely about that. <laughs> yeah, I you really know? I really do love Patricia. Yeah, more, you, so, more so than any other character. Oh yeah, just and hearing think, hearing the nonsense he says, and then her just being like. <laughs> Oh, okay like, yeah uh-huh all right yeah, yeah all right there michelle it's, and you know that was really not, nice about it yeah that was that was coming from a genuine place i don't know if you know about like gene seberg's uh actual personal life but she was a very uh very 
active when it came to like making a change in the world. She yeah, was affiliated I, with the Black I, Panthers I, for a long time. I do. Yeah, I remember reading about that recently, actually. Um, when the uh, Kristen Stewart movie was coming out. Um, yeah. About her being affiliated with the Black Panthers. And this was kind of like her. Because she was in a couple auto. Um, Preminger. Yeah, Preminger movies. And she was kind of like, like people didn't like her that much because of those movies. Like critics would kind of attack her from from what I've read, I think. And this was like kind of her return Hmm. or like comeback of of some sorts, I think. Because the two, the two auto movies that she was in before I, and I could be completely wrong about this. um, They, they tanked from what I, from what I know. Um, And so this was her comeback. I, I didn't know that actually. I believe it though, because because what I do know, I actually have seen the movie, the Seaberg uh, with Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Um, not a great movie. I think it's I, just sort of I've poorly heard. told. I've heard, but it's yeah. actually very fascinating to to know that she was this involved and and died tragically at a very young age, and okay. uh, so it was always always a shame to hear about when yeah. something like that happens to such such a such a neat person. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you can you can tell this was coming from a genuine place. This is very much how she sort of looked at the world. Like, listen, I'm actually I'm doing like actual important things. Uh, I can I will take or leave whatever you got at any moment. Um, yeah, but it is also and she does. Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. It is yeah. also easy to see how how she would be kind of charmed by this guy. Uh, it's hard to not to, you know, very dis like. He has a lot of traits that you just dislike, but <laughs> like I said, you know the pulp noir aspects of him just bring you back in. It's 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 hard to put into words. And as we've mentioned, that face, that face, about that, that face. face. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a good face. Ugh, so good. Man. Yeah. I literally, I want to, I want a whole like mini series of just Jason reviewing the faces, faces of celebrities. I think that could be problematic. <laughs> like a one out of 10 and a 10 is John Paul Belmont. Yeah. <laughs> and don't say who a one. Is, yeah. No, I was going to say like, and who would a one be? But then, yeah, don't. <laughs> You know, a, a one, that's, when, that's when it starts getting problematic. Yeah. It's actually impossible to get a one. So that yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, anyway. not 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 with not with me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a terrible idea. Forget I ever said it. But <laughs> if anyone um, else wants to do it, and and be with being aware let me know. of the consequences yeah. of the potential backlash, yeah, uh, you have our permission to to produce that and <laughs> and cut Jason in on like a sixty percent of the royalties. Less, I'll take a, le- I'll a, take less. A fifty eight percent of the royalties. Fifty eight is my number. Yep. <laughs> All right, now let I'll me ask twelve percent of the credit. Well, yeah, I'll take that too. Doesn't okay. matter. All right, let me ask you something. You mentioned yeah. earlier about um, a different ending that the movie had. That's right. Talk about that. Let me hear. It. Yeah. So you, the original that ending like? that uh, Truffaut and Claude Chabrol had envisioned for the movie was that uh, the police are closing in. Like Michelle's picture is on on every newspaper and on like billboards and. and jumbotrons practically uh but all he can think to do is just walk down the street in broad daylight with like all the police closing in without giving a thought to it and all of the bystanders would just turn and look like what is that guy doing and it was going to be this ultimate uh like just john wick 2 
Almost, yeah, pretty much. Like, just this nail in the coffin of, like, this guy doesn't even care about death. And okay. I gotta say, I the vision sounds of that pretty cool. is neat. It sounds, sounds cool, cool. But uh, I honestly don't think it would have worked. I think it would have been, it, it would have been just too uh, contradictory, at least with the version of the movie we ultimately got, which was, of course, uh, was, of course, sort of molded by Godard. So maybe that's the reason yeah. it feels... It would have felt out of place. So, so um, that's the ending that Godard came up with himself. Like that's that's specifically what he wanted after being, you know, given this other ending. Uh, uh, the the ending that we ultimately got in the movie where Michelle dies that was Godard's idea. Okay. Yeah. No, he he wasn't having any of that. Yeah, like martyred hero stuff, which I like. I think I think it worked out for the best. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Breathless. Of course, we're. We're only just scratching the surface, as always, and and there are many different ways to to look at this movie. But uh, I think we we got to a lot of cool stuff. I'm I'm glad. <laughs> I, I I don't know if we've ever like actually clarified, but you're you're a fan of this movie, right? Oh, I I love this movie. I don't I haven't seen a Godard movie or a French New Wave movie that I haven't liked. You know, yeah. um, I remember seeing oh god, uh, Band Apart freshman year and oh, yeah. not really enjoying it that much but <laughs> i you know i want to see it again and that's more than i can say for a lot of movies that i watched and i'm like oh i never want to see that again um, but that <laughs> one i wasn't a huge fan of but i definitely like would love to see it again yeah and i and i and i love breathless it's his only movie that i own on criterion so oh nice yeah, yeah good it's a good criterion blu-ray oh, too it's beautiful, like beautiful 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 yeah. yeah i'm a fan of uh the, i almost said book smart because i've still got that tab open on my <laughs> i'm a fan of uh it's another b movie what are you gonna do yeah uh i'm a i'm a breathless fan i think i have problems with it specifically with the way it just sort of meanders in the middle like for for a long time there's just yeah. sort of nothing really happening besides these conversations that we've kind of we've kind of basically gotten the gist of before and that's Um, my favorite aspect of the movie actually the the last third um i feel like meanders a bit for me um but yeah i think it's just too exciting that it's all coming to a head to to i uh, yeah i i I totally understand that yeah uh so i have i have issues here and there but generally speaking this is a very good movie i think there's a lot of layers to it we've only We've only we've gotten like what would you say maybe four layers we've explored. It's there are out of how many? Out of like a thousand. Exactly. No, and this is the kind of movie that you need to watch, form your own opinions for. If you hate it, I understand. If you love it, I understand. Like it's it's that kind of movie. Yeah. At the yeah. very least, just to see where so many things uh, sort of exploded onto the scene, and yeah. like like every youtube reviewer who does jump cuts all the time owes their allegiance to breathless and and fittingly enough they probably have never bothered to actually watch breathless exactly yeah that's kind of the irony in that yeah yeah so we're fans we're fans yes yes definitely another movie that i'm a huge fan of and i'm and i'm pretty sure you are too yes also released in the year 1960 is a, a, a bit of a a bit of an about face but i think there's one bizarre similarity that i think uh, I did not realize at the beginning of this. It is, as mentioned before, George Franju's Eyes Without a Face. Pourquoi mens-tu? Depuis le temps que je te connais, je lis sur ton visage. Dis-moi la vérité. Les gens n'approfondiront pas. Ils ne chercheront pas. 
Mais que se passe-t-il dans cette mystérieuse ville And you've seen this before. Right? I want to sing that Billy Joel song so bad. So <laughs> Billy Idol. Um, did I say Billy Joel? Billy yeah. Idol. That Billy Eilish song. <laughs> uh, I want to sing that 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 Billy Idol song so bad. Yes. Uh, what was your question? What would Billy Joel's eyes without a face be like? Standing here, got eyes without a face. I don't know. <laughs> Something. Give it up Something for Jason's just, yeah. Billy Joel impression. Yeah, I've never heard a Billy Joel song. That's just <laughs> what I assume. You'd recognize a few of them. We're off on a tangent. Yeah. Jason, you, yeah, yeah. you've seen Eyes Without a Face before, right? Yes, I remember um, seeing it right before I arrived to college. Um, okay. I remember right before we met. A year before we met, and <laughs> I remember um, having a conversation with you. Uh, about the movie or oh, where you you mentioned the movie and that I, is I was, so me yeah i was exactly i was so excited to just be like yeah i've seen this 60s french horror film that not a lot of people have seen um uh -huh. but i think when i saw it i was just watching it interested with the idea of it not really paying attention to the actual movie i was like oh this looks kind of creepy let me watch it it's old um, yeah and You know, honestly, that'll get you through a lot of it. A lot of this movie is just it atmosphere. really will. No, it, oh, and the this this movie's atmosphere is 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 like amazing. You know, uh -huh. you just got silent scenes of these characters walking through the corridors of this this castle, basically this huge haunted it is, horror death mansion. It is a it is a castle. I like it is <laughs> it is insane, and they're just you know you get this curb your enthusiasm type music. <laughs> playing playing out, outside of the castle it's and then when you're so un unnerving it's it is it's, it's so weird because this movie starts i i first watched it back in i want to say 2016 where i was just just full bore just any movie that crossed my path i was like i'll watch that one i'll expand my cinematic knowledge yep, it was yep. it was a good time and i saw i came upon this list on the internet at one point or another of like the best non-english language horror movies and there were there were uh, a bunch that i heard of before like ringu was on there i think the host might have been on there ringu martyrs uh, i feel like that's yeah, probably yeah. on there yeah some others that you, that you'd probably recognize but then yeah. at, at number one i remember it was the number one spot was really? this movie eyes without a face and all it was was this image of uh, a woman with sort of curly hair yeah. with this like yeah. expressionless <laughs> white rubber mask and just her big blue eyes poking out and, and i was like it is i'm terrifying. watching that it is yeah. a terrifying image but she also just has like these just doe eyes that kind of like contradict the scariness of the mask it, it's it's a it's a confusing look but uh -huh. for most of most of the time it is it is a terrifying face it, it fits with the ultimate theme that yeah. comes to glorious fruition in like the last couple of minutes of this oh movie. yeah um but yeah so 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 to give a little context um eyes without a face is directed by george franju who is not an especially notable director besides this movie now granted i haven't seen any of the other ones but i've never i've never heard anyone say like listen this i know he made this one eyes without a face movie but you gotta check out some other stuff uh one i do remember off the top of my head is that he remade Uh, or not remade, but rather adapted the story Judex 
which was a, a, a French serial that was done in like the 1910s and was one of the oh. early uh, like long form horror stories adapted that into a feature. I've been, I've been meaning to check that out for a while, but besides that, it's really just eyes without a face, but I got to be honest, that's kind of enough for it's for sure enough. Cause this movie is really fantastic. I just, I'm just going to come out right out and say, this is my favorite of the three that we're talking about today. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I, rewatched I would, this. I would completely understand that. I rewatched this yeah. earlier today and was just blown away all over again. And I yeah. loved it the first time, but I had completely forgotten that the first thing in this movie as the credits uh, are playing over a dark and stormy night, because of yep. course they are, yeah, of course. is this carnival music. And it's really creepy because it's the last thing you're expecting. You're the expecting cur- like this, your enthusiasm. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You're expecting like this sort of old school universal monster movie, like, like kind of creepy ominous theme but instead you're hearing the circus theme and i still do not know why like there's no circus in this movie and it still freaks you out kind of yeah it because it does just as much of a job as yeah go on (laughs) it's i was just saying it's just this uncomfortable juxtaposition yeah that and of course it makes it's of course scary because uh yeah if if you have clownophobia or cholerophobia that's what's clownophobia Insane. Um, whatever yeah you associate it with clowns it's already scary right off the bat so yeah. it's tremendously effective it it really is it's you know it does just as good of a job as an actual scary score because mm-hmm. uh, it you know you wouldn't want to sit in your room and listen to that song at night <laughs> probably not definitely um, I not i wouldn't begrudge anyone who did maybe that's, yeah, uh, maybe uh, that's yeah. your thing yeah you know teach them you know. We're in. We're. I'm just, this is a can of worms that I'm just going to close the lid. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing we see is um, this uh, dark and stormy night. There's a woman driving through the storm. The windshield wipers are on. It's. It's. She. She has this kind of look of panic on her face. Yeah. Uh, we see a car come up behind her, and then in the rearview mirror, we spot there's someone in the back seat. Yeah. And they're not moving, and their face is completely obscured. And right, right away, we know something's not right. And so <laughs> she parks and takes the body, which we we realize at this point is a corpse, and just dumps it into a river. Yep. What a way to start a movie! This faceless, yeah. just this faceless form being discarded into the into the natural world. And uh, I, I really love movies where they'll open with something like that, and you're not really told what it is till about two thirds into the movie or yeah. you don't really like put the pieces together uh-huh. as to like what the hell is going on in that beginning. Yeah. And, you, and, and, and you don't remember points, it either. Yeah. And bonus points to any movie where that happens and it's not a scene from the middle of the movie that they just, yeah, no, exactly. That really drives me nuts. That is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Only yeah. two times it ever worked are raging bull and mission impossible three. That's it. <laughs> not kidding. Those are the only two times where a movie starts with a scene from either the <laughs> middle or the end and then like cut to it and then like flashback and then build up to that point. Those are the only two times I can think where it was. You got a point. It, it not only worked, but it made the movie better. I think you those got are the only it, two examples. You, you're on to something there, Nolan. <laughs> you're on to something there. I thought I thought you would find that. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> those are my exceptions. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. This movie, yeah, the the opening of this movie, you know, you wouldn't think that it's that terrifying based on that music that we have uh-huh. or that that we have in the scene, and you know, it's a it's a body disposal opening. Um, yeah, and that's all we get. And, and that's all you and, get. Uh, yeah, I love the way this movie sort of slowly doles out information. So it cuts to yep. this. Uh, a doctor who we find out is a surgeon giving uh, this lecture about, I believe the word, if, if memory serves, is heterografting, which is the idea in layman's terms of uh, basically taking part of someone and surgically giving it to someone else. And we're like, yeah, yeah. this is a movie about faces. Yep. I wonder. But if you've, what, if you've what, seen what the skin I live in, you, you know what kind of movie this is. You know about heterografting. And it's yeah. not just like, and it's not, and, and I, I think this, um, the lecture that is being given is basically saying like, yeah, scientists haven't really nailed that down, which I actually, I meant to look into the history of that to see if it's true. I imagine they'd done like blood transfusions before and stuff. But yeah. This, but plastic surgery to this degree, I honestly don't know. Could if, not, if, uh, oh, could not work. If it predates this, yeah, it was. Oh, uh, ab- absolutely, none of this would work. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm just, I'm assuming. That there's, there's, I imagine there was some research done, but there's a lot yeah. of theoretical science going on here. Yeah, um, but and then so so gives a lecture, goes back to his office, and uh, his like assistant or secretary or whatever says, uh, "Professor, you you received a call, a call from the morgue," and we uh, find out in a little passing bit of dialogue that his daughter had gone missing a week or two beforehand. And so, and he gets this look on this face like, oh no. Which as we find out, there are multiple ways to read that. Yes. Uh, goes to the morgue, says, we found this uh, We found this body in the river and the time of drowning, according to the autopsy, corresponds with when your daughter disappeared. And, and so they want, they're like, is, is this your daughter? And so he goes in and says, yeah, yeah, it is. But here's the thing. (laughs) It isn't. (laughs) What? Yeah. What do you mean it's not? We we, we see there's someone else whose daughter had also suspiciously gone missing around that same time. Also shows up to the morgue and says, oh, gosh, that was that wasn't my daughter, was it? And he's like. No, it was mine. Yep. She's dead. And then this guy's just this other guy just starts whining like, "Oh gosh, I'm so I'm so uh, I'm so afraid." And then and just what is hilarious if you know what we know, which is that there's that's not his daughter. Yeah. Uh, just in says, case like, you couldn't couldn't tell from my sarcasm. Listen, I, I what are you complaining to me for? I <laughs> my my child has died which is all the morbidly funnier knowing that it's actually the complete opposite and so we we know immediately that something is amiss yeah uh and so he goes home and goes upstairs where he meets where where he sees his daughter there she is alive and maybe not well but face face down in a pillow Face down on a pillow. Yeah. We can't see your face at all. Uh, and uh, we find out over the course of a, a variety of conversations that she's been in a terrible accident and some sort of car crash where, for whatever reason, her face could not be saved. Yes, a car accident 
which was caused by her father. Yeah. Her father's reckless driving of vague, vague, reckless driving. That's all we're and talking. so, and so we get, we realize immediately that he has this overwhelming sense of guilt. And because yes. he's a plastic surgeon has decided, uh, rather absentmindedly that that i here's what i'll do i'll find someone else with a similar face to my daughter and i'll cut it off and so that my daughter can have a face again and cut it off and cut it off he does yes you know people of the 1960s their you know psycho was too much for them and psycho <laughs> psycho hides a lot of uh the violence in it this movie does no such thing uh yes. gives you close-ups of facial uh mutilation mutilation like, let's just call it what it is i was watching it this morning felt queasy this movie's from 1960 uh-huh. uh feeling quite queasy myself yes. from watching quite queasy with jason reed quite quite <laughs> Hey, don't spoil my upcoming show. It's that's oh, great. my apologies. I did yeah. not realize that the yeah, announcement yeah. wasn't supposed to be made. Yet. Yeah, that's oh, that's oh, the first that's the first episode. <laughs> episode one and only eyes without a face. Yeah, and it's I like, look forward to it. It's like a minute long. Don't worry about it. Yeah, um, but yeah. So we find out that this has gross. been going on that this has been going on for some time now, and that he's uh, encountered some some issues with uh with trying to do this in the past and really uh a lot of this movie is as not really about that concept even though that's sort of the backdrop it's really just this cold clinical straightforward depiction of what that process looks like of trying to yes. abduct someone of of actually cutting off their face and it is intensely gruesome and one thing that i do want to point out is that this is in france um this is a so they actually had a different sort of censorship code at the time and this is one of the first uh like horror movies that the the french uh equivalent of hollywood basically had decided to really like put all their chips on and the director was very excited but said I I want to make a horror movie, but I want to make a really thoughtful one. Like I don't want to just make a monster movie where there's some like a big, like a Wolfman or a Frankenstein monster just hobbling down a hallway or something. I want to do something that the world has never seen before, and that really is what this ended up being because this is uh has it has an atmosphere of something really dark and demented is going on here. It but really because, does because the one the person doing that sort of dark demented stuff is the protagonist it actually does it actually isn't depicted as horrifying it is i want to make that very clear it, it, it is horrifying. Course, yes it's it you know like the scene we mentioned earlier it is horrifying the, yeah. these sequences but putting him as central character and i i you know there's a moment in the tail end of the movie that kind of makes us sympathize with him a tad bit more than the little shred we had in the beginning. Um, The sequence with him in that, that boy. um, Yeah. Yeah. With uh, the, the kid who I think he's suffering just some, some vague head trauma or something, Uh something along those lines. And uh, this, this doctor, this central character holds up four fingers and it's like, how many fingers am I holding up? Kid says three. 
and you can just see like the disappointment, sadness in this central character's face and how he really, really wants to help this kid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, he's not all bad. Yeah. You know, and the, he, cause he's a working doctor. Like he's yes. not just, he's not some recluse hiding in a mansion, just carrying yeah. out these experiments. Yeah. He's like actually just going out, going to work, doing just whatever needs to be done. Granted, he lives in a mansion. He's, He's quite well off, yes. But still, uh, it's not like like he's some cackling evil maniac. And it's actually it, it reminded me. I don't know if you've seen this, Jason, of the movie Maniac with Joe Spinell, which is very I'm which not. is notable. It's a movie about a serial killer entirely from the perspective of the killer. Like okay. a lot of serial killer movies are about tracking down the killer, and maybe yes. it'll be about like a detective or a police officer trying yeah. to crack the code. This is just dumping you into the world of what it's like to be that person to be that person who has who is giving into these incredibly uh primordial inclinations and thinks very little of it like does not realize the horrifying extents to which they're ruining someone else's life if not a bunch of other lives because that is the thing is that this doctor this protagonist that we're following is a homicidal maniac. He is yes. he's engaged. Let, let's listen. What are the charges? We have kidnapping, <laughs> mutilation, deception yeah, yeah. at the very least. Uh, am I? What what else have we got? Just just complete. You know, let's just throw murder in there. Sure. Yeah, because we'll, we have we'll that corpse it. at the beginning. Yeah. Whether it was accidental or not. Yeah. That person was dead. <laughs> exactly. They're not coming back to life. Yeah. You did that. They would have been they would have still been alive had you not yep. abducted them for their face. Yep. And just for what, their face. Exactly. And yeah. You know it's not gonna last either. The of face. course. As as we see, the faces do not see. last. Yeah, because he basically just like peels the face off of the person and just puts it on his daughter's face and sews it on there. That's not going to work out unless you very like it go to like a microscopic level and attach all of the nerve endings and stuff. And even then it probably would, it, it just would not be compatible. Yeah. That's not a thing you can do. Yeah. But he's so and driven. The, the movie acknowledges that. And I, I really love it for that. Like it, it's, it, it acknowledges that it's not going to work and that it's just this constant drive for him. His like guilt just weighing on him and all this stuff. He's so driven by this inclination to, and this, and this is what I really picked up on this time. And I, w- I want to know if you thought any of the same things on this inclination to make his daughter beautiful again. Yeah. That's really what it is. No, you yeah, think about yeah, it. Yeah. And that's this, 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 theme that kind of goes throughout it um that yeah i definitely didn't pick up on the first time i watched it was this like you know creation of beauty this taking away of other people's beauty Um, because the weird thing about this and and i and i might i may have missed a detail but as near as i could tell uh his daughter and uh, uh christian is her name yeah like she can be fine without the face like it was a it was a gruesome injury uh, and she received permanent scarring, which we only see yeah. like really blurry in one scene, yeah. which is tremendously yeah. effective. It is. Oh, it is. But as far as I know, it's not a mortal wound. Yeah. It's not like she has a ticking clock and is going to die because of it. It's all about this guy's need to, to make her sort of this angelic, uh, 
beautiful, pretty to look at being. Just like the picture a, that hangs. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we see this painting, this like portrait of, of what she looked like before the accident. It's quite a, um, I mean, the, the, maybe maybe uh, a bit of a strong word, but I, I can't really think of a better one. Quite a misogynistic inclination or chauvinistic yeah. inclination, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree with that. Yeah. And so and we and we find out that uh, she really hates this. Yes, yeah, she uh, you know, it seems like in the beginning she, you know, her her hatred for what she looks like, you know, her fear of looking at herself in the beginning would justify this insane path that her father's going on. But mm-hmm. throughout the rest of it, she, you know, she's like, what the hell is going on? I don't want any of this. Yeah. This is awful i don't like, like I this don't, is a living it doesn't, hell it doesn't matter that much to me uh-huh yeah it's like it's life yeah. will go on for me yeah. you're committing murder every week for this yeah. frivolous this frivolous attempt to restore me to my natural uh like my former glory or whatever yeah. you want to call it and and really it's it's a selfish thing for for him too you know it, it seems like he's just doing it out of the the guilt that he has um, uh-huh. in order to help himself you know? and there's even a point where uh she tries to call her fiance who is under the impression that she is dead let's yes. not forget that yep. that the, yep. the entire world believes that that she has died horrifically in some sort of bizarre drowning accident after going missing uh she wants to reconnect with the outside world. And then he like, he bursts in and says like, what are you doing? You know, you're not supposed to do that. And you realize in that moment, oh, she's being held here against her will and hates every second of it. And this is existentially horrifying, isn't it? Like imagine that like that your face gets melted off in an accident just for the sake of argument. (laughs) And your family keeps you like barricaded at home and will not even tell the world that you still exist yeah that's intense out of out of marriage out of fear of what you look like out of fear of rejection yeah yeah, yeah. like it's, it's, it's almost like it's like some sort of elephant man story exactly almost. exactly yeah and uh it is this intensely frightening situation that is maintained all throughout the movie while at the same time is not really flourishing how horrifying it is. That's the yeah. thing I was most impressed by is that it's not going out of its way to be all showy. Like, look at me and how scary I am. I don't know why I did the Mark Hamill. Yeah, I could tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you leaned into look that a bit. Me, bats. <laughs> I've turned into a monster and you'll never see me again the way I was before. I had to. <laughs> I, I know it. I know it. Yeah. Oh, I love doing that voice. Yeah. <laughs> No, but yeah, that is that is really what it is. And it's just most of the movie, nothing really happens. We'll occasionally cut back to the detectives who are um, who are like sort of using these little clues they pick up along the way to try and track down what the hell is going on and why are all these people turning up missing and everything. Um, And that's why I think that that's kind of the weird parallel with Breathless that I was noticing. Like, that's also a movie where there's a character committing crimes, committing yep. like some of the worst crimes imaginable, uh, and just not really giving much thought to the punishment to the point where 
uh, the movie isn't even focusing on that, so it's kind of easy to forget that they're on yeah. that. I think that's yeah. fascinating that they have that that yeah the invest the investigation of it is a sub sub subplot like yeah. it's you know it it is nowhere in the focus and and I will say this uh, of, again we're not gonna we're not gonna give it away but the way that that subplot with the investigation and also uh the the two main characters the doctor and christian the way this movie ends like the last five minutes gave me like consistent chills for five minutes straight and is one of the most cathartic endings i've seen in a long time it is absolutely perfect it's very rare you get a horror movie um where it's you you feel good yeah um, or to an extent, I guess it's weird to think of, isn't it? It is. Really it is, is, especially after everything that is has come before it. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, I, I I know exactly what you mean. Very very cathartic. I absolutely love the ending, I, Jason. Before before we move on to our final uh, our our C feature, if you will, uh, I want to. Is is there anything else about uh, Eyes Without a Face that you wanted to mention real quick? I have a couple of things. Yeah, you, sure. you know, um. A, a lot of the things that you know characterize iconic horror movies that are even effective nowadays is just the horror aspects of it being um, still good. You know, yeah. you can you can watch and still be terrified of it or, or or something like that. And something that I realized watching this is that body horror is timeless. Yes, it, it really it it never goes out of style because you have a body you know yes and especially generally speaking yes most everyone listening has a body yeah you know face and and facial bodily horror however you want to say that is maybe even worse than most body horror i know you know facial body horror is part of body horror but sure that's your face you know that's Uh (laughs) that's how you present yourself exactly that and and that is so timeless Mm-hmm. facial body horror and and yeah and i just think that that just makes it immortal yeah Think things that, like that yeah that's fascinating that you say I, I hadn't thought of it in specifically that term but you're you're absolutely right that that is just and it's just one sequence in particular where this is really just flourished in this movie the the facial stuff uh that is really terrifying, but I think what might even be more terrifying is the the just what Christiane is going through, like this this being blocked off from the world. That is possibly even scarier to me. That's something so uh, so heinous and so controlling could just seem so normal to someone. Yeah, like that's the scariest part, and I think that is what makes it really effective um for all 84 minutes like it's not even a long a long movie it's a it's, lean, it's lean another ex, same with journey. breathless same with Bre- it's that perfect uh 90 minute sweet spot yeah not it not is. a lot of movies especially nowadays they don't realize that 90 minutes can be enough it is the dream uh length for a movie you don't have to well, not every movie i think so, there are some that deserve it oh, like if barry some, linden was some minutes. yeah there's some that need to be you know, super long, but most movies you watch, you're like best um, movies, ninety minutes, uh, or two hours and twenty minutes or more. That's there you go. Those are the best movies. Everything in between, no, bad. No. It's bad. Rejected. <laughs> yeah. 
I love it. Uh, uh, what two quick things I want to mention, just a little sort of behind the scenes stuff that I found fascinating is, uh, as I briefly alluded to earlier, this was kind of like a censorship minefield. Like there were certain uh, countries that would tolerate with certain things in the movie uh, as opposed to others. So they actually had to work very hard to make sure that uh, every country would be able to comfortably sort of uh, like be okay with this. Like yeah. I, for whatever reason, uh, or I guess it kind of makes sense, but the the country of Germany was not comfortable with there being a mad scientist character. So that might actually that's like, what they had a problem with. That's what they listen. They, the the evil mad scientist. A lot of the time, you'll notice is a German character. I can't imagine that's oh, the most flattering image. Okay, no, I I get that. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's actually that might single handedly be the reason why sort of the the straightforwardness of the of this movie makes it so effective that might be it right there was because okay. they didn't want it to be like some sort of gesticulating uh over the top evil character so if that's true thank you for that germany you, <laughs> you really did us a huge favor for that yeah, um, yeah and one one other thing that i just thought was hilarious was that uh, this was released two years after it was uh, initially released in France. In the U.S. in uh, the year 1962, on a on a double bill with a Japanese monster movie called The Manster. <laughs> which just made me Manster. laugh like a maniac. Which, yeah. upon, upon brief bits of research, is about a scientist that grows an extra head. Oh, it's a man and monster. I really it's want a man to monster. see that movie. I get it. Man monster. That's cool. I really want to see the monster now. Definitely want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. Uh, uh, I absolutely love eyes without a face. I think oh, it's one fun. of the best horror movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, I was, I appreciate it so much more this time. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you're uh, presumably in the same boat. If I'm understanding. Oh, no. Right. Oh, I, I, I think all three of these movies sit at the same ranking for me. Very nice. Well, that brings us in that case, to our final uh, film of the of the evening or morning or afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening to this, uh, it is Dario Argento's Deep Red, uh, who of course was kind of one of the founding fathers of the uh, the, the giallo subgenre of horror, yeah. uh, which is which contains a lot of fun stuff. Now, yeah. now, Jason, you you've also seen this one before, correct? Yes, yes. I've seen a few of Argento's movies. Uh, this was, I think, the second one after Suspiria. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I actually had not seen this one before. So, so this, was, uh, this was the first time for me. Unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror. 
into total And terror. weirdly enough, the, the funny thing is that the on Extra Milestone, what we do, of course, if you know, is uh, we, we celebrate the anniversaries of movies in multiples of five. So, for instance, in this year, uh, if it ended, if it came out in a year ending with a zero or a five, it's eligible. And Dario Argento just so happened to have like five of those. So the, I think in 1970, 75, 80, and 85, uh, Dario Argento released a movie in all of those years. So I've actually, they've actually been on the list. And so I've been getting to check them out for that reason. So just recently, in fact, I crossed off a bunch of uh, Dario Argento movies off my list. Pr- prior to that, I had only seen Suspiria uh, years ago for some yeah. reason. But yeah. now that I'm really getting into it, I actually, I wish I had a long time ago because this is some really fun stuff. Now, Jason, it is. Um, I, I watched this actually over the course of two days, so I'm I'm somewhat hazy on the plot. Tell me what is to what is the deal, so to speak, with <laughs> Deep Red. Okay, yeah. So it starts in okay, so this is this this is something we kind of talked about <laughs> earlier, actually. Um yeah. where you know it'll it'll open with something that is kind of revealed way, way later on. Yeah, it is but, chronological um, though, so I allow for it. This has happened. Yes. It, it it starts with this prologue, uh, where we see like some gruesome murder happen with this uh, terrifying music in the background. Yeah, which is and just a, la 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 la. Yeah. It's oh gosh, it's awful. haunting. Haunting. And there's a bloody knife and a child there. Yeah. And then it cuts to years later. Years later, um, you hear the the. Very, very famous Goblin score. Yeah. Um, which is just <laughs> kick-ass. Oh, my God. The music in this never never fits the scene for me. And but, that's the best part. But it is so good. It's <laughs> one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Um, but Almost as good as the one for Suspiria. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, To me, they're, they're on par with each other. Suspiria, you know, fits the movie a bit more, but... Yeah, I would rather listen to the the deep red score. But anyway, okay. um, y- you get a little taste of that score. It cuts off, and then you you know camera camera zooms into this uh, red curtain room uh, where this what is what a how psychic. would a psychic a psychic like event like a psychic TED talk <laughs> yeah yeah you know like what is that. Um, Oh, a psychic reading? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know, actually. Yeah, so this 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 lady, the psychic, she she begins her thing, uh, her TED Talk, whatever it is, um, by, you know, saying that she can't see the future, but she can see, she can feel thoughts. And, yeah. um, like, when they she are happening. She can feel, like, uh, intentions. Yes. Of. So uh, if there is an especially evil thought or an intention, it will, like, linger in the room. And yeah. so... Of course, she decides to uh, prove her ability by l- letting us know that a man in the third row has is holding keys in his pocket. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know everyone's amazed by that. But then she starts, you know, twitching and you know losing her mind because there is an evil presence in the room. Someone in that room w- uh, has killed and will kill again. From her yeah. words, I believe. Yeah, um, and that is. I think in, incredible an incredible way to introduce a killer without showing the killer. Uh-huh. You know, having him be in a room and having someone know that there is a killer in the room, but they just can't 
Yeah. And, and then what happens immediately after? This woman leaves. Yeah. And she is killed by of this course. person. Of course. And her murder is what sets in motion <laughs> uh, the central character. What is his name? Oh gosh, it's Mark I was hoping I was hoping you would know this. Okay. I'm so I'm so bad with names. It, it's okay. It's okay. Um a, a British guy in the movie. Yes. <laughs> I think he's up right now. I think he's the only British man in it. Marcus Daly. Marcus Daly. Yeah. Marcus Daly is uh sitting outside with his his drunkard friend Carlo. Yes. Uh who they're both pianists. Mm-hmm. Um for some reason. After like a really rocking session that they just yeah had. yeah yeah um so they're they're just kind of hanging outside and eventually Carlo leaves and Marcus is uh, unfortunately present when um, the psychic from the beginning is murdered in her window he sees yeah. this runs up there is too late she's dead and he's kind of not really thrown into this murder mystery but he just kind of chooses. To be a yeah. part of it. Well, um, actually, that that's not entirely true because it's not. It's until like the next day or something. Uh, we meet this reporter. Let me look up her name. Uh, uh, Jonna Brezzi. Yeah, she was a, yeah, yeah. She's a sort of this like feisty yeah. newspaper reporter. The, the I guess classic, the a classic news newspaper reporter. I get and, the stories. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm the one who's yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, in her in her report of like there was a murder last night. Is his picture front and center linking yeah, okay. to the murder? <laughs> that is true. Yes. So he he does kind of get, and you know this the psychic woman is killed just because she I think just because she knows that whoever was in that room is the killer. Yeah. Right. There's there's not really much to it than that. So mm-hmm. having this character be <laughs> the literal face of the newspapers, being like this guy saw who killed. <laughs> This, this woman you know yeah. it puts him as target so i guess in a way he is kind of thrown into it but yeah and and jana ultimately expresses remorse over this like oh gosh i did not realize that i was yes. gonna thrust you head first into into this deadly game of cat and mouse yes. that we're in. yes so basically our our central character is just like you said in this almost cat and mouse sort of trying to figure out who the killer is why um you know what what there's something about a painting yeah he's, he's not sure about yeah um, there's they're, they just go on this on this uh collision course where they're following all of these bizarre leads involving like a hidden room in a mansion yes and like and like writing on the condensation of a wall as someone is like t- drawing their last breath yeah uh and it's a lot of really I hesitate to say zany because that makes it seem like it's a whole lot of fun. But it but it that's yeah. kind, that's kind of the attitude of it. That now it this is, is I I think it's at this point when we should talk a little bit about the giallo genre as a whole, yes. which is hard to yes, say, yes, by yes, the way. Yes. Uh it is uh and and just to just to preface right off the bat, I'm actually not intimately familiar with the genre uh, with the genre. Most yes, of what I know we, we can try our best. <laughs> Most of what I know is from Dario Argento movies, yeah. of which I've seen, I guess... Uh, Mario Bava. I guess I've seen six of them at this point, which is yeah. not not unimpressive, I suppose. Uh, but the vibe I've gotten so far is that they're horror movies. They're very colorful, they're bright, they're vibrant. And yeah. they appreciate 
the drama and the power of a good kill. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's all about. That's pretty much what you're going to get from those movies is the plot is not going to be that great. You know, not really. But, Weirdly but, intricate in this one, though. Yeah, you're going to get good music, good lighting, and good kills. That is yes. what you're guaranteed with with a Giallo movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and really dramatic too like the like the the final destination movies would not be around if it were not for the giallo uh yeah. genre which is just yeah. involving all parts of the environment in the most creative just un, and just downright unusual ways you can think of where yeah there, there there are very few other movies with like before uh like specific giallo kills which had this kind of death scene. Like I, as far as, as near as I could tell, there's no scene in any movie before deep red in which someone is drowned in like scalding water just to make it all the more, all the more intense. Doesn't make sense, but like, it doesn't, it's brutal. It It doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you, and you watch this movie and a lot of, I, I actually watched a few other Dario Argento movies the last couple of days, uh, in preparation for this. And you can really you can see the DNA of the slasher genre that we would come to know. You can see the gruesomeness of the kills, but also the glee that the movie takes in it. The kind of the 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 thin layer of artificiality over it that makes it that sort of invites you in and says, "Listen, we know it's death. We know it's yeah. pain, but also they're inviting you to have fun with it because you know it's just a movie." And that's kind of in Dario Argento movies oh, yeah. is not good acting. No, no, and that's kind of where the the music in this one especially comes from. You know, uh, early on in the movie, uh, the main character—I forget his name again. Who cares? Um, Marcus. Marcus. Um, yes. He is the, kind the guy of... from Blow Up. Just say that. Oh my god! <laughs> Did you not know that? <laughs> oh my god! No, I yes. had no idea. I had no idea. It totally makes sense. Um, but so he's in his house playing piano. Yep. Um, and you get a moment where his his name is whispered yeah. by the by the killer, which is terrifying. It is like I was I got immediate goosebumps as soon as that happened. And then this like kick ass like sweet sweet back music starts playing, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, what? you're totally it's, right. Yeah, so it's like it's like it's like chase scene music. And it's yes. like, it's awesome. It's, it's fantastic music, but it just doesn't fit at all. But it's just like fun. Yeah. Something it's such about a weird it series so of fun. instruments that you've never yeah. heard in this combination yeah. before that just, that just gives so much life to the scene. Yeah. And no matter what happens in it, you're like totally there. And I'm yeah. like, of course it's a, it's a horror movie. It's a shallow movie. Almost everyone in the movie ends up dead. Like I think literally I can I can think of like two characters that don't die by the end of this movie. You can yeah. pretty reasonably predict who it is. Yeah. But even still, that's the thing about that I that I really love about uh, Dario Argento, especially, and for all I know, the entire uh, genre or subgenre, I should say. There's this existential feeling of dread hanging over all of it that something has awoken, something that we don't even understand. And almost none of us will make it out of this. I think it, it that works best in Inferno. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, Inferno. I haven't. I haven't seen Inferno, um, but that's one of the things I really love about Dario Argento movies. Like he, he will have a killer in the movie, yeah. but there's something 
there's something else bigger than that, you know, and, uh-huh. and the way that the camera will move throughout scenes makes it seem like there is this evil presence just arriving. Um, uh-huh. And that's kind of reflected in the whole psychic, whatever's going on in the beginning. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's this lingering evil that is just in places and, and the camera reflects that. And Argento just kind of goes above and beyond to just create this otherworldly thing out of just yeah. murders, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's very good word choice. Otherworldly. Cause it's yeah. very, they, they, they take very special care to not show the world outside of this dread that exactly. has suddenly burst into the world from, from out of nowhere. Usually. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like the entire world is alive in these movies. Yeah. Uh, most of them at least. And it's out to get you. And there's something that should be terrifying. And, and in the hands of a differently inclined director, it would be really dreadful and existential. But something about watching it with this, again, I, I, I use the word again, this lens of artificiality makes it so much more fun than almost any other kind of horror movie. Yeah. And it is, it is, it is death as a means to excitement fake death yes i should say and and that's one of the reasons i love the horror genre is just because i get so much enjoyment out of these just horrible like macabre things happening to these people and and argento just really like dives into that he just like knows that you're having fun with it like if you've ever seen demons that's just like it's just so tongue-in-cheek like just gross and it's never so realistic that it's off-putting like the blood in Dario Argento movies, I think is literally just red acrylic paint. It, like it, they it, don't it's, make it look like blood at all. Yeah, it's very much just the brightest, like how a preschooler would expect blood to be like <laughs> without really ex- knowing what like blood looks like. It's yeah. literally just paint, melted Play-Doh. Like it, it's just, yeah. it, it's ridiculous. But don't get me wrong. This movie is terrifying. Like Yeah, I, it's still scary. It is so scary it, it has two scenes that oh god three scenes actually uh now that i watch it that i w- i was watching it last night that um my, my friend was sleeping next to me uh on the couch and i woke him up from jumping uh and <laughs> actually like screaming at one point what was um, it could i could i just a yes or no question yes was this might doll? be spoiler yes <laughs> oh my gosh there's a scene we're not gonna say what happens there's a scene with a doll in this movie that is one of the scariest images i've ever oh my seen god in my life and it's such an effective jump scare it's not you know it's not a modern horror film where it's just oh gosh the 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 jump comes out of nowhere <laughs> you're looking at the shot for about like five seconds and then it happens and it is, oh God, it is terrifying. And it doesn't make sense for the movie, yeah. really. It's, but it's, it's completely, there's no reason for it to happen except yeah. that it's one of the scariest things ever. It and really they is. knew they could do it and they did it. And they put yeah. it in there knowing that we would be along for the ride. Uh, and we are. And that's yeah. what makes it, if, if you watch a bunch of these, you'll start to notice patterns like that, where it's sort of giving you a hint as to what's about to happen. For instance, if you're watching a Jalo movie, and you see a character alone at night 
pacing in a study with a drink in their hand they're about to die, <laughs> they're about to die. without a fail with without any exception that I is think, just universal I think, shorthand i think this happens, character yeah that happens three or four times in this movie <laughs> i think all of the deaths happen because are <laughs> in a similar situation like this yeah um, yeah no that is spot on yeah yeah no you i i, I think uh uh inferno again is my favorite uh the bird with the crystal plumage which is dario argento's first movie that's not as steeped in the giallo tropes that you might recognize over time that's more of like a straightforward murder but you can see the uh the the blueprints of what was to eventually blossom out of this cinematic voice i think that specifically uh you know the trope in a lot of horror movies and even just like thrillers in general where it looks like everything's solved it looks like things have have all gone back to normal but there's one weird loose end that they can't yes. quite make sense of and then yes. they realize oh wait yep. a second this isn't over yet yep uh there's a lot of that here when that happened in this movie i chills like yeah i seriously like i I, I I've seen this movie before and I did not remember any of this um, yeah. and I got chills and had to like, I, I honestly paused it for a bit. Mm. Uh, it's really not that scary, but just to me, it just gave me chills. Like the reveal of what happens in the end is just, Ooh, it's, ter- it's terrifying to me. Just yeah. like a little, it doesn't make sense. If you really think about Very it. Very little of it actually makes sense. Yeah, but it just oh, it's just effective to me. I I I, I can't put it into words really, but nor do you have to i think it's, yeah. it's a very specific kind of horror yeah. and uh that only a few directors have really nailed down um but when they do it's something really special as i think we can both agree yeah. it is in yeah. deep red um i take a little bit of issues i think the plot could be delivered a little bit better like i i still have trouble understanding how they get from certain points to others i'm yes. sure if i rewatched it it would become more clear the that second, was a little distracting the second half uh plot wise is totally ridiculous and almost yeah. irrelevant yeah um and you know the, the first half you can get into it mm-hmm. but then when the second half comes like it also is kind of irrelevant yeah. some of it some of it just you know there's a bit too too many conveniences if, if you're someone who hates conveniences in horror movies um yeah you it's, it's not the not first like it. thing it's not the first thing on their mind so it, yeah. it's clear to see how maybe they wouldn't give much thought to that but it is it is kind of distracting if you notice it but even still uh the the joyous the glorious even uh terror and horror of it all is is more than enough to get you through it and i think this is as good a place to as any to start with uh argento or this or the uh giallo subgenre as a whole yeah. Uh, I really dug it. I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. Did you yeah. did you have any other point you wanted to make about Deep Red? I mean, really if you, if you if you love good music, if you love uh <laughs> you know colors, if you like re- really nice golds, deep reds. Um uh, yeah, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And really uh, creative kills that involve yes. the environment in fantastic ways. Yes. Uh then you will love this one. Um don't bank on the plot too much. Yeah. Don't worry it's about there. it. But it's also not, and, and it's that's also really all you need to yeah. Know. It's also you know a short one. I think it's an hour forty something. 
Uh, it's an hour 40 if you watch the American version that's on Oh uh, yeah, there's multiple currently versions. on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I actually, I in doing research, I found out that the original Italian version is about 20 minutes longer. I managed to track that down and watch it. Maybe it might play a little bit better. As far as I can tell, the changes are not instrumental. It's just sort of like a scene here, a line of dialogue there okay. that eventually got it to, thir- to uh, 20 minutes. Okay. I actually don't know. Um, yeah, and if, if Whatever you version have... you can get. Yeah, if you have a problem with the story, it's not going to be that scarring, be that scarring of yeah. the movie because it is that short, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. For so sure. There, yeah. Yeah. So we 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 had a hell of a triple feature today, didn't we, Jason? I, yeah, I, I don't think I've had a triple feature that I loved this much in a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew that when we when we decided on these three i knew it was going to be a fun episode and indeed it was i had a ton of fun thank you for joining me on this yeah thank you this was was fantastic yeah care care to come back sometime yeah you let me know of course (laughs) lord knows i'm not doing anything (laughs) yeah not not (laughs) at the moment yeah no this is this is going to become a weekly and occasionally bi-weekly thing so so definitely i will let you know when there's something something especially jasony uh (laughs) anything with faces i'm there yeah (laughs) i'll know who to have back yeah Um, but yeah i think that's about everything uh jason did i didn't ask you about this before is there anything at all you wanted to plug or just uh just like your letterbox account or anything find me on letterbox jason reed (laughs) i I don't even know what my name on there is it could be anything yeah find me yeah we're we're not up to a whole lot these days yeah but, but this is never this is always a good place to find us and i think uh to quote our old podcast that's all we got oh my god from the (laughs) internet colorado i'm sam noland i'm jason reed (laughs) and we'll see you next time